Welcome to Destiny Revival Ministries Sermon of the Week. Thank you for joining us. You can stay up to date through our social media or give from the link in the details. We hope this message blesses you. Cameron McDonald, pastor, prophet, man of God, let's welcome him tonight in Jesus' name. Could you put the David slide up there, if you don't mind, uh, the King David slide? We'll just use that as our backdrop. You know, what Prophet Mark just said was so crazy. You've got the entire Old Testament, and you don't hardly see any demons. And then all of a sudden, Jesus shows up on the scene, and it's like every single page, there's demons. If I'm, you know, if I'm reading, you're reading the Bible, and you're like, what, what, the, where, what are these things, you know? Because when heaven comes close to earth, how many of you understand heaven and earth don't play nice together? So when heaven begins to invade earth, stuff starts to manifest and it goes, it, it just goes, it goes crazy. So, um, wow, wow, wow. Uh, Travis, can you turn the lights off just for a moment? I just, I feel led to just sing for a second. I heard an old, old story about how our Savior came from glory. How he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. And I heard about his groaning and his precious blood's atoning. And I repented of my sin and I won that victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me beneath the men. Come on. He loved me ere I knew him. Now all my love is due him. He plunged me to victory beneath a cleansing flood. And I heard about that mansion that he has built for me in glory. And I heard about those streets of gold beyond the crystal sea. Come on of that old redemption story and some sweet day I'll sing with him that song of victory oh victory in Jesus my Savior forever he sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood he loved me ere i knew him now all my love is due him he plunged me to victory beneath that cleansing flood and verse 2 it says i heard about his healing and his cleansing power revealing. How he made the lame to walk again and he caused the blind to see. And so I cried out, dear Jesus, come and heal my broken spirit. Amen. And some sweet day I'm going to sing up there this song of victory. Amen. Let's just cry that out. Dear Jesus, dear Jesus come and heal my broken spirit. Dear Jesus, come and heal my broken body. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it again, and then you just yell out whatever your infirmity is, whatever it is you're dealing with. Dear Jesus, come and heal my... He can do it, guys. He can do it. You can do it, Jesus. You can do it. You guys, I believe in what's called the authority of the believer. I believe that he who lives inside of me is stronger than he who lives in the world. And I believe that the same spirit that resurrected Jesus Christ from the dead is alive inside of you and inside of me. I was in Ireland at a revival and had dinner one night with a man from South Africa, Mark Marks. 
And he said to me that there was a witch that joined the church and completely got her life turned around and and is now a a spirit-filled powerhouse believer. But she said, Christians are so unbelievably unaware. And he said, what do you mean they're unaware? And and this is what she said. I don't understand it completely, but she said, it'll take like three witches, two weeks to corner a demon up a tree and one unsuspecting believer will walk by and undo everything that we work so hard to do just because of the power that's inside of them. You guys, if we knew that this power that we have, Paul said it's like a treasure in a jar of clay. We're just, we're broken vessels, right? But in our frailties and in our brokenness and in our scars, there is bursting forth this powerful light that is transformative. It changes everything. But something I was saying earlier about all throughout the Old Testament, there's no demons. And all of a sudden, Jesus shows up and there's, there's demons everywhere because heaven and earth, they don't play nice together. But the Lord is calling this house. And, and, and Mark, what I was saying uh, to Brother Anton here is, how many of you guys heard of the Asbury Revival? Yeah. I, Russell Stone and I, we live a block from Asbury. We were, we were there every, every moment. And it was insane just watching it grow, watching it grow. Our little one-horse town of Wilmore, which is about 15 miles south of Lexington. One Saturday, we looked up and 50,000 people were in. I mean, the lines was 12 people wide, about three miles deep wrapped around the city just to come into the chapel there. And I said to Anton, I said, Brother Mark, this feels a little bit like Asbury. It feels like the Lord is birthing something powerful in this house. I've never seen this kind of hunger. Man. And Prophet Mark, I was thinking about you this morning, and the Lord told me, this is weird. I've never gotten this word for anybody, but he says, you're a Noah. I said, what do you mean a Noah. And he said, I've called Mark to build and you're building an ark that's gonna be a refuge. The Lord has called you in April here from South Africa to build a family, to build a remnant ark that is going to provide protection and refuge and safety for so many people. And I said, but what's this Noah thing? And he says, Jesus said that the way the world's gonna culminate, it'll be like the days of Noah. And the days of Noah call call for a Noah. And the Lord is using you in April in that capacity in this region. And it is amazing what he's building. This house is so hungry. You guys, this is meeting number six of six. And every time, I, you don't understand, most places right now, there'd be about four people there. would be like, you know, that we, we've, we, they just, we, and it's, it's unbelievable how it's just been ratcheting up and, and growing because the Lord is cultivating something. Man, I am under the unction of the anointing right now, you guys. Man. Wow. And I know this is going to sound really strange, but as they were saying, I hear the abundance of rain. I said, man, wouldn't that be cool if we could see that in this city in Lafayette? I'm walking on the grass here, and Lafayette's so beautiful, but that grass is crunchy right now, right? <laughs> it's like we're walking in crunch, crunch, crunch. And so in the name of Jesus, we come together because how many of you understand the corporate anointing is better than any single anointing? And the corporate anointing we call forth, I say, skies over Lafayette produce rain tonight in Jesus' name. Rain tonight in Jesus' name. Now, when Jezebel summoned the prophet Elijah, it's so interesting. These are the words she said when he came. She said, where have you been, troubler of Israel? When you get a reputation in heaven, you also get a reputation in hell. And this house is an agitator to the kingdom of darkness. And so I look at you and say, where have you been, troublers of Lafayette? Troublers of Louisiana? It's okay. It's okay. So often what man wants I think I'm seeing lightning outside. And I declare in Jesus' name that is not heat lightning. I declare it's not heat lightning. Come on, let it rain. Let it rain. 
Come on. It's in the rain. I have so much that I want to share tonight, and I want to be sensitive to our time, and I want to be sensitive to uh, our praying for healing. Um, but as I sat very quietly before the Lord today, I said, Father, is there anything that you want to specifically say over this house tonight? And it, I, I promise you, it was so interesting that he didn't give me a word immediately. He gave me a face, and it's the face of Noel. Where's Noel? I just saw your face. And I saw the Lord, I saw Jesus actually picking flowers, a bouquet of flowers and giving them to you. And it's like there's been like one thing after another, after another, and the Lord is smiling over you. And it's like you've come from this season of testing, but I, I see the Lord picking and it's a, the, the flower has a beautiful long green stem and it's white with white petals with a yellow center, whatever they call that. And, and I hear the Lord's Jesus, he calls you his flower. He loves you, Noel. He loves the purity and sincerity of the song that he's put in your heart. I, I don't know why, but that's what I saw for tonight. And then I saw, the next face I saw was, was you, ma'am. What is your name? Rhonda. Rhonda. I know this sounds strange, but the Lord showed me your face. And can I just lay my hands on you and just pray over you real quick? Uh, Father, I thank you for Rhonda and I plead your blood over her and I thank you that you've got incredible plans for her. I break off the enemy attack, enemy accusations. I, 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 since there's been like, like the enemy has lied to you in your heart, lied to you in your mind. And I just hear the Lord saying that those lies are being struck down tonight in Jesus' name. I activate and declare that these ears from this point forward will only hear the voice of your Father, your Heavenly Father, Father, who loves you and sees you and has an incredible plan for your life. The Lord breaks off discouragement and any hopelessness that might come against you. And he says, the joy of the Lord from this day forward shall be your strength in Jesus name. Rhonda, he loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. And I wonder, and I could be totally wrong, but I wonder if the word that the picture of, that, um, was it you that had the picture of the staircase? You know, I feel like I got, a, I got a different interpretation on it, and I could totally be wrong, test this with the Lord, but I felt like the bear, I felt like each step represented a dispensation in time, and it's an expedition of time, and as you scale the, the mountain, I feel like we're getting closer and closer to the Lord. I feel like the bear represented the age of communism uh, that, that is seeking to ravage this nation. And as we're sort of getting past this Marxist rebellion that is happening across the earth right now, um, I, I, there's an alien deception that's coming where they're trying to tell you that there's aliens. Let me tell you something. There's no aliens. Come on. There's no aliens. There's demons. There's the, um, yeah, Nephilim. There, there's all sorts of crazy things, right? Read your, read your Bible. Uh, the throne room of God has some pretty crazy entities. But let me tell you, there's not little green Martians walking around. But I feel like that's the next deception. And every time, though, we get past the next deception, next, next deception, every time we get closer and closer, it's coming the return of the king. Mr. Travis, can you turn the lights on? Everybody close your eyes real quick. Is it going to be bright? Boom. Okay, here we go. Hey, I want to tell you, in 1917, while the Russian communist revolution was threatening to overtake the city of Petrograd, it said that just two blocks from the actual fighting was the Orthodox Church. And they had actually gathered all the leaders for a national assembly where they locked themselves in the church for two days. And it said that they were almost in fistfights as they were having a heated debate over what color robes the priests should wear. And there was a communist revolution at their door. I'm so sorry to tell you there's a communist revolution at our door. And communism is godless. Communism, the first thing they have to do is stamp out God. It's atheist because if there's a God, that means there's something higher than government. And communism wants you to see as uh, you get your rights from the government. You get uh, your, your, your liberty, your life, your food, your supply. The government is your source. So the first thing they have to do is kill off God in the minds of the people. And, and I'm telling you, there is a play that's happening in our world today that's got me very concerned. Now, my, my, my brother EC here is from Kentucky. And we've said that good things happen from Kentucky. 
uh, and in Kentucky, but good things happen to people from Kentucky. And, and EC, if you understand, he served on a destroyer in the United States Navy. And we were talking the other night, and if you understand anything about the Navy, when you go on a ship and you're going out to sea, you've got certain uh, positions. Um, uh, could we do the next picture of David real quick? Um, you've got certain positions. Everybody has trained for a position. Maybe your position is to swab the deck. Maybe your position is the cook. Maybe your position is the machinist. Maybe your position is to oil something. Or yeah, I never served in the Navy, but maybe it's to clean something. I don't know. That's your general position. That's what you're to do every single day. But once them torpedoes go in the water, once those planes begin to come overhead, everybody forgets their general positions and they go into what's called battle positions. You've got your general station and battle station. And what I'm sensing for the church of Jesus Christ in the western world that's being attacked today is it's time to abandon general positions and it's time to enter battle stations. Uh, you may be an apostle. You may be a prophet. You may be an evangelist. You may be a teacher. You, you may be a pastor. I, I feel like that's your general position. And now what we got to do is set that aside and we come together as one body. As one body. We've, we've got to focus on what's, what's ahead. It's said that in near Auschwitz in the concentration camp over in Europe, that there was a, a church that met near the railroad tracks. And every Sunday morning, the trains would go by with the Jews being hauled off to be slaughtered in the concentration camps. They were headed to the gas chambers. And it was horrific to say, but when the trains would go by, the people on the inside would be screaming and they would be terrified and they would be screaming. And that screaming began to addle the people inside the church. This is a true story. And you know what the leaders would say when the trains would go by? Just sing a little louder. Just sing a little louder. Drown out, drown that out. Drown that out. We're just going to sing a little louder. It's battle stations time, guys. Our grandpappy was from Montgomery, Alabama. Grew up dirt poor. So dirt poor that his mom and dad couldn't afford him and they gave him over to an orphanage. My granddad was raised in an orphanage. And he went over and fought with General Patton in World War II. The Battle of the Bulge. And my grandfather... 19, 20 years old, liberated the concentration camp of Bukowa. He did not know the Lord. He was an agnostic, probably at best. He probably had some hangups. God, if you really love me, why would I be raised in an orphanage? You know? Let me ask you a question. Did that church or did my grandfather fulfill the will of God? But my grandpa, he didn't, he, he wasn't a believer. Who more fulfilled the will of God? The liberator. And I am talking to a group of liberators tonight. People that are done with Sunday morning religion. People are done just singing the songs to sing the songs and do the dance, but we are actually trying to live this thing out to where we become the liberators because Lafayette is, in a, is, is locked up in, a, in, in the camp of religion and the Lord is calling this house to break it free. And it's not about just getting excited, right? You know, the old country preacher would say, God doesn't care how high you jump when you worship. He cares how straight you walk when you land. And if you're just going back to your old life, your old addiction, your old situation, that's not, the Lord is calling you in this hour to stand up and be a liberator. I, you got to understand this. In Acts chapter 16, the church was a fledgling, you know, church in Acts chapter 2, and it began to grow and began to grow and began to grow and began to grow. And by Acts chapter 16, the apostle Paul became known at, uh, with a reputation, and the leaders of the city got together and they said, what are we going to do? The men who've turned this world upside down are now in our town. What are we going to do? You see, whenever there's a move of God, there's always two responses. There's a riot and there's a revival. There's a riot and there's a revival. And I, I don't understand it. It's the mystery of God. I, his ways are not our ways, right? I don't understand it. I don't understand why everybody just doesn't come in, but it's like Billy Graham used to say, the same sun that hardens the, uh, the same sun that melts the butter hardens the clay. It's about the consistency of the person's heart. 
Everybody knows Matthew 28, uh, uh, verse 18, the Great Commission. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all people. I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. And surely I'm going to be with you always, even to the very end of the age. Everybody knows 18 through 20, but does anybody know 17? Matthew 28, 17 says, after Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared to many people and some believed and some doubted. You gotta be pretty hard up to see the resurrected Christ in front of your face. You're seeing his nail-scarred hands and you're saying, mm, I'm not buying it. I'm just, I'm not gonna sign in for this. I'm too dignified. I've got too much stuff going on in my life, you know? I mean, that takes a certain level of arrogance to be staring Jesus in the face and saying, you know what? I'm not buying this stuff. But it's right there in scripture. It's all over scripture. Luke chapter 12, it says the voice of the, the father thundered from heaven. This is my son. Listen to him. And the Bible says some heard the voice of God and some said, is it going to rain? I think I heard thunder tonight. It's all about the spiritual sensitivity of a person's heart. And that's why this man, when he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy. There was a purity on that that was just so unbelievable. But these are different times. George Washington would say that these are the days that try a man's soul. I, 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 I'm so confused. What, when did we start saying there was more than two genders? Somebody help me with that. I don't, I, I, we, that was, what, when did that happen? It's like I woke up in Crazyville, right? It's like the world has gone crazy and I'm thinking, what, what is going on? And the Lord is saying, hey, I've prepared my church. I've prepared a remnant people to be able to survive in this hour, not just survive, but begin to thrive and really begin to emerge as the true bride of Christ. And I feel like I'm talking to the group of people just like that here in Lafayette. I feel like that's you. I feel like that's this house. I feel like it's gonna be a beacon to so many in this region. And I don't know about you, but I am so excited about what God has in store for this house. I'm so excited. I wanna, I wanna talk tonight just you know, real quick and then we're gonna, we're gonna get into um, some healing time um, because man, the atmosphere is ripe for it. Amen? Amen. Atmosphere is ripe. I want to talk to you guys about disappointment with the Lord. Last night we talked about being betrayed by man. It's one thing to feel betrayed by man, but if you're not careful, that betrayal by man can turn into you feel betrayed by God. And you will shipwreck your faith and not be able to advance. And so I want to talk about that. But before I do, I just felt led to share this scripture with you. And in Psalm chapter 33, it says this. It says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. If you understand anything about the United States of America, we are a covenant nation. Now, it's, what's interesting is that the covenant of Israel was God made that with Abraham, right? That's not so with America. America was us making a covenant with God. And we've been lied to and fed so much propaganda. But if you understand anything about the origin of this nation, if you go back to Cape Henry uh, off the coast of Virginia in Jamestown, and you'll see the cross that was resurrected there. If you go up to Plymouth, Massachusetts, and you read the Mayflower Compact, they got together and would not get off the ship because it was a Sunday. They sailed for six weeks in a hurricane. They were dying and sick and disgusted inside of that ship, but they refused to disembark because it was a Sunday. It was the Lord's Day. Could you imagine being in misery and saying, no, Nope, we're going to stay 24 more hours because it's the Lord's day. They honored the Lord and they signed a, a, the Mayflower Compact and they dedicated this nation to the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the expansion of the kingdom of God. I think that's what's preserved us as a nation over the last 400 years. And if you understand anything else, you fast forward about 150 years, you know, we had all these Ivy League schools, Harvard, Yale, Princeton, they were founded as seminaries to train preachers. The motto for hundreds of years of Harvard was, cursed be any learning that's contrary to Christ. Right outside of Yale University, there's a graveyard. And this, is, this should be on every graveyard. But there's a massive graveyard, a cemetery. And over it, it says, the dead in Christ will rise first. Oh, we've come, so, we've come a long way. 
And then we had the Revolutionary War. And guys, if you understand miracles, 1776 was a miracle. It was against all odds. But did you know that we marched under the banner of no king but King Jesus? We went and dug up the dead body of our first Great Awakening uh, preacher, George Whitfield. They cut his hands off. I know that sounds gruesome, but they carried him with them in battle because they believed that there was power, power, wonder-working power of Jesus Christ in that man's hands. If we just understood the origin of this nation, and I believe that it's that foundation, blessed is the nation whose God is Lord that's preserved us thus far. And we've got to, again, cry out to him for a fear of the Lord to begin to, to come over this land. And I think he will turn things around. Because I don't know about you, but it feels like we've been in the middle of Operation Rush the Book of Revelation, doesn't it? Because if we've read the script, surely the, the, the you know, the, the, the people up, you know, you know what I'm talking about, like the WEF people, the, the atheists that are wanting to kind of stamp out God. You know what I'm talking about? Surely they've read the book of Revelation. And it's like they've read it and they're trying to prey upon the naivety of God's people and they're trying to rush. They're trying to, it's operation push the hand of God. But my Bible says that the Lord sits in heaven and he laughs at the schemes of nations and he loves to thwart the plans of men. And I believe we're not necessarily there just yet in the book of Revelation. I think we're in a Psalm 2, Psalm 33 moment where the Lord is about to thwart the plans of men. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Blessed is the nation. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees the whole human race from his throne. He observes all who live on earth. He made their hearts so he understands everything that they do. John 2, 26 says, Jesus did not need testimony about man because he knew what was in the heart of man. He, you know, we talk about with AI technology, there's no, there's no such thing as a secure conversation on the earth. No matter where you go, something is eavesdropping on you. Something is listening. But let me tell you something. These people that are inventing the AI technology, wherever they go, the eyes of God are watching them. Better than the ear are the eyes of God. And he doesn't just see a man's outward appearance. He sees all the way down to the heart on a cellular level. And he knows what's inside of a man's heart, you guys. He made their hearts so he understands everything to do. Now watch this. The best equipped army cannot save a king. Now, I don't know about you, but when people talk about the United States military, I just get excited. I read, a, I read a, an article on our, our, our intercontinental ballistic missiles. They just have cool names, the Minutemen. Isn't that cool? Minutemen defense system. Unbelievable. We've got nuclear submarines. Just one nuclear submarine carries enough payload that it can obliterate a continent. We've got powerful, powerful weapons. But the Bible says that they're a vain hope in the day of battle. They're a vain hope. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchmen are watching in vain. There, I feel the unction of the Holy Ghost from head to toe right now. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen are just watching in vain. I don't care about our sophisticated weaponry. It cannot save us. Now watch this. The best equipped army cannot save a king. Now, this is where things get a little bit tricky, okay? The Nazis came to power by quoting Romans 13. They would prey upon the hearts of the Christians in the land and say, whoa, 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 your Bible says you're to honor the king. You're to honor the government. You're to honor those that the Lord has put in authority over you and you be a good little Nazi citizen and you do what we tell you to do, right? That's what your Bible says. But what separates the United States of America is that our government is like the servants of our house. How many of you understand the owner of the house does not work for the butler? The butler works for the owner of the house. I've got news for the 535 people that think they're in charge in Washington. They're the servants of the house. They're the servants of the house. As a matter of fact, you know what you and I are? We are citizens of the United States of America. Citizen is a Latin word. It means co-king. Who's the king of America? You are, sir. I am. We are together. We are co-kings. And so there's no going against the government mandate because you're the government. Read the Constitution. We the people. It's we the people. 
So I wanna share that with you, that there is okay to have civil disobedience, you guys. You are not violating the law of God. They're gonna throw at you Romans 13, but if you look at Romans 13, verse three is your key. It says that if you obey the government, uh, then you will not be doing what's immoral, essentially. I don't have it in front of me. I'm, this is the King Cameron version I'm giving you right now, right? But the idea is, the understanding is that obeying the government, you're also being in obedience with the Lord. But when the government begins to tell you to contradict the word of God, they become illegal and you do the right thing regardless. I mean, there were Christians in Nazi Germany that would, that would turn their neighbors in for harboring Jews because that's what the government told them to do. And they got so confused. The Bible says that, that there's a powerful delusion that comes about and people just get confused. And I'm telling you, there's a powerful delusion that is encamped about the United States of America today. And I'm nervous, but I feel like there's a window of time that God's gonna turn this thing around. You say, Cameron, how could you say that? I mean, don't you see how bad things are? Don't you see how corrupt things are? I do, I do see that. But I was sharing with Brother Mark the other day that on January the 4th of 2021, I felt really led just to go to Washington, D.C. and to pray and to, just, to, just, to, just to pray for our nation and to intercede. And my, my, my next door neighbor and I, we rode up in a car, a vehicle together and, and it gets dark early. We were driving through West Virginia. It's beginning to snow and we were hungry. And so we pulled off at the Texas Roadhouse. I like the Texas Roadhouse and uh, those bread rolls. Hey, Texas Roadhouse, believe it or not, it's from Kentucky. It is. <laughs> Should be called Kentucky Roadhouse, but Texas Roadhouse. We pulled off there and they brought a basket of rolls and another basket of rolls and we ate rolls and they were good. And they, we ate so many rolls that we couldn't eat all of our dinner. So we got a to-go box and we put our, half our dinner in the to-go box and then we stuffed the to-go box with bread rolls. And the whole way there, we begin to get hungrier and hungrier, driving into Washington, D.C. And my buddy Chris looks at me and goes, if it's okay with you, I'm gonna tear into those leftovers as soon as we get to the hotel. And I said, sure, absolutely. So we get to the hotel. It's about two o'clock in the morning and we're searching the car. We're searching the vehicle as we get out. And he begins to look at me, Cameron, did you eat the leftovers? I'm like, no, I've been driving the whole time. What are you talking about? He's like, well, they're not here. I said, look under the seat. So we're looking under the seat and a guy comes and helps us with our luggage. And we go up to the, he goes, well, it must just, maybe I put it in a suitcase or something. When we get to the room, we'll look at it. So he opens the suitcase and he's looking for it. And he begins to accuse the guy that helped us. You know what? That guy stole my leftovers. <laughs> And I mean, and he, he wouldn't let it go. He wouldn't go to bed. It was like three o'clock in the morning. He's like, where are the leftovers? I'm like, leave it alone, right? <laughs> so the next morning we go downstairs to the parking garage and look in the car some more. We're looking and we're searching on the roof. We're looking everywhere for it and we can't find it. And we were okay to eat it because it was like 20 degrees outside. So the car was like a refrigerator. It was safe. So we go in there and we're looking and we're looking and we're looking and we can't find it. I say, well, you know what? We're just gonna have to give it up. And my, my neighbor would not give it up. My friend Chris would not give it up. And so even that night, he was talking about the leftovers. Well, the next morning was January the 6th, and we go to the White House, and, and, and we're surrounded by 90,000 grandmothers that are there praying in tongues, just interceding for the nation. I mean, they are saying, don't, hey, let me tell you something. The media, the news media are the lying prophets of Baal. They are propaganda artists. I am telling you something. What I saw were well-behaved grandmothers who were there concerned for their nation as they saw what their husbands and their fathers bled and died for slipping away from them. And they were interceding, praying. And so we were there and I gotta be honest, I was a little bit frustrated. The president gets up and he doesn't say anything that I, he didn't say on TV. I thought he was gonna say something new and there was nothing really clear and I was really frustrated. And, and so I was like, you know what, let's just leave. So we left a little bit early. Praise God, if the FBI checks my phone records, I was in Maryland when stuff was going down uh, at the Capitol. I was, I was getting gas in West Virginia. That's the truth. Um, I really was, really was. Um, but what was so crazy about it is we get back, we get back to the car and as we're driving out, he goes, dude, dude, you're, you're in the wrong lane. You've got to cut over, you've got to go down Pennsylvania. And so I was like, well, what do I do? And he's like, well, there's a car coming, but you gotta bust it. Bust it now and get over the next lane so you can take a left. And when I bust it, I hear, Phew. I go, what was that? It was the leftovers. <laughs> they were lodged in the top of the car, like at an angle that we couldn't see even when we were looking. And I looked in my rear view mirror and you're gonna think I'm making this up. I'm not making it up. The only thing I saw were two Texas Roadhouse rolls rolling down Pennsylvania <laughs> Avenue. I thought that's the craziest thing I've ever seen. 
well, we get home and we're talking about what's going on. And I tell the story to Chris's wife and she goes, whoa, 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 whoa. That doesn't just happen. There's something prophetic about that. And as soon as she said there was something prophetic about it, I remembered Gideon's dream. They saw rolls, bread rolls, rolling down the mountain. And when the bread rolls rolled down in the mountain, they interpreted that as Gideon was coming forth. And they turned on themselves. And that's an example of the Lord sitting up in heaven laughing at the plots and the schemes of man. I know it sounds crazy. We're saying, I got a preacher here tonight in Louisiana that's telling us because Texas Roadhouse rolls, roll down, <laughs> that God's going to turn it around. But I think that's a sign, and the Bible says a sign is to produce wonder. Yeah. And it produced wonder inside of me. Could it be that God's fixing to do it again? I'm praying, God, come, turn this thing around. God, turn it around, turn it around, turn it around. And if you believe in the power of prayer, there's never been a more prayed for issue in the history of the world. We've been praying and we've been praying and we've been praying. And I believe that the Lord is going to turn it around. It's going to take a miracle. It's going to take us banding together as one people. But I think from it, the church is going to get really serious. Prophet Mark convicted me so much on Thursday night when he said, you know, the world went into lockdowns during COVID. The church was shut down. It was seen as unnecessary, whatever that means. It's how ridiculous is that? And we, you know, slowly across the nation, the churches began to reemerge and be able to regroup. And what did they do when they came out of COVID? Did they go into revival? Did they begin to fast? Did they begin to pour out their heart before the Lord? Did they begin to just see miracles, signs, and wonders? No, they did their church at the movies. The church I grew up in had a DeLorean in the lobby because it was Back to the Future weekend. Guys, that's, a, that's an indictment against the church. That's an indictment. And maybe it'll take an, a, something else to shake us, but we've got to get back to the fear of the Lord. I've got like 30 verses here on the fear of the Lord. And if I read them, there is so much power in them. I just want to challenge you in lieu of time to go home and just type in fear of the Lord in the BibleGateway.com and read every verse that comes up. You discover that you're a friend of God. You discover long life is yours. You discover prosperity is yours. You discover God begins to confide in you secrets. You begin to discover that the fear of God really is the beginning of not just wisdom and knowledge. It's the beginning of everything. And what marked the greatest revival in the Bible, in Acts chapter 19, the revival in Ephesus, it says that everybody in the city feared the name of Jesus. If you've got one prayer for the United States of America, it's that the fear of the Lord would return. It's hard to fear God, though, when you feel entitled. It's hard to fear God when you feel he owes you something. And when you're doing the Christian life and you're paying your tithe and you're faithful in service and then you're blindsided by a haymaker from hell, by betrayal, you begin to think, God, if you're all powerful, why didn't you stop it? Why didn't you do something? Everybody says you're a good, good father, but why don't I see that? And you begin to have the dark night of the soul and you begin to wrestle. God, if you love me, where are you? And in that moment, this Satan tries to isolate you and make you feel, feel that you're all by yourself, that there's nobody else, that nobody understands what you're going through, that you're somehow odd, that you've been excluded, but you're not. It turns out all of us are just like the rest of us. And it turns out just like everybody has a season where they bloom, right? Everybody also has a season before they bloom where they go through the dark night of the soul and they begin to question, God, did you turn your back on me? And I think it's because we don't understand the nature of the universe that we were born into. C.S. Lewis said, we were born in a universe already at war. It'd be like your mom birthing you right in the middle of the battlefield of Battle of the Bulge, right? I mean, you, you didn't do anything to deserve it, but you were born in the midst of war. That's why Jesus taught us to pray. When you pray, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on the earth, in the earth, just like it's done in heaven. Why would Jesus teach you to pray that prayer? I'm going to say something that's very offensive, but it's true. The will of God is not automatic. It takes contending for. 
It takes partnership. If the will of God automatically happened, think about all the atrocities on this earth, right? That's not the will of God. Those people that were incinerated in Maui, because the, don't even get me started on that. That was not the will of God. So Jesus said, you are to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. Don't assume that the will of God is an automatic thing. God is looking for a partner. Just like citizen means co-king. Well, we are citizens of the kingdom of God, which means we're co-heirs with Christ. The Bible says that Jesus is our elder brother, the firstborn from among the dead. And he alone is king of kings, but you're a prince. You're a princess. You are royalty in the family of God. But just like Jesus experienced that writhing in the garden, we all go through that season. So what do you do when you're in that season of, God, have you betrayed me? Oh, God, are you there? God, do you even love me? Man, I, I wrestled with that. We go through this. I mean, I, I, I poured my life out for the Lord. I said, God, I'm all yours. Out of college, out of high school, I was offered different positions and businesses. I could have gone, but I said, no, I'm called to preach the gospel. I'm called to preach the word of God. I know I am. I know I'm called to preach the gospel. Anytime the going got tough, though, I'd be like, oh, am I really called to this, you know? But I'm, I was called by the Lord to preach his word. And so I gave my whole life to him. I, I felt like Queen Elizabeth. Remember Queen Elizabeth when she found out her daddy died and she said, I pledge my whole life, whether it be long or whether it be short, to be the servant of the people, right? Is what she said. That's basically what I said. God, my whole life, whether it be long, whether it be short, my whole life I've placed in your hands. God of mercy, humbly I bow down. It's all you. God, wrap me. Put me on like a glove. When you're going to your closet in the morning, God, would you pick up the Cameron suit and step in it? God, you can have me. I'll be your outfit. Wrap yourself in me. I'm a coin in your pocket, God. Just spin me however you want. And so I said this, and I, I had this prayer room in my house, and I, I mean, I would night and day, I was addicted to the, the, the prayer closet. I was addicted to it. I'd see my family, I love you guys. I'd see my wife, I love you, but I gotta go to the prayer room, I gotta go to the prayer room. I was on my face day and night crying out. And as a result, man, the church began to explode. I believe that one man, one woman on fire can change an entire region. Come on, yes. And I will tell you that a wildfire is better than no fire. Maybe you've seen some strange things tonight, but I will tell you a wildfire is better than no fire at all. Because I've been in some dead churches, right? I'm in the prayer closet. The church is, is, is booming. And then all of a sudden, we get hit with a haymaker from hell, false accusations, betrayal. Not just betrayal from enemies, betrayal from our very best friends. And at first, we were like, okay, we're called to stand. Like King David said, is there not a cause? We're going to stand. We're going to stand. We're going to stand. God's going to come through. God's going to come through. You watch. The waters are going to part. It's going to be like a Red Sea moment. And I'm like, mm, and it was like God was a no-call, no-show. And I was like, wait a second. Whoa, 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 whoa. And I began to get disenfranchised with the Father. And I'm embarrassed to say this, guys, but can if I just be vulnerable with you? One day I was talking out loud to God and I didn't know anybody was with, around me. And I said, God, what kind of a dad does this to his child? Lord, what? they said you're a good father. What's going on? And I turned around and my little boy, Russell Stone, was standing there looking at me. And it devastated my heart. Because these are the conversations that I want to have on the inside with the Lord. I want to process with God. And by the way, God's shoulders are big enough to handle your questions, your writhing, the stuff that you're enduring. Don't be afraid. Talk to God like a man talks to a friend, right? So I was crying out to the Lord, and I looked, and there's my little boy, and I'm like, oh, no, now I've disappointed him. Now I've hurt him. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. But I felt like that in a moment. But what we don't understand is that the Lord... The Lord in that dark night of the soul is actually maturing us and growing us and strengthening us that where you, you can't even understand it because it doesn't feel like that. It, it feels like, God, do you hate me? Somebody says you can't know God as a friend until you've known him as an enemy. 
and you feel like in this weird season where things are going great, all of a sudden you're like, did I, did I offend you, God? Did I have some bad theology? Just please forgive me, whatever it is, and there's no breakthrough. It's like the heavens seem like cast iron and nothing's getting through, and you're like, what is going on? It's in that season that you hold fast with a white-knuckle grip to your, to, to, your, uh, to, to your faith. Somebody said, never doubt in the dark what God promised you in the light. And we go through this dark night of the soul and we're like, what is, what is going on, God? What is going on? And we begin to think, maybe God, maybe, maybe I've been betrayed by God. You know whoever I think about when I think about that season? I think about John the Baptist. You understand John the Baptist. He leapt in his mother's womb. You remember the story? And the, the Bible says that the very first person to introduce Jesus on the scene was John the Baptist. He's preaching to crowds of thousands of people and he's telling them about the coming of the Messiah. And one day he looks up and the Messiah is sitting right there. And so he says, behold, and he could have said anything. Behold the author of life. Behold the king of creation. Behold the God of glory. But instead he prophesied and he said, behold, that's the lamb of God. Lamb of God. That's the one that's destined to be slaughtered for the sins of the world. And at that moment, John came up and he baptized Jesus and he heard the voice of the, the father thunder over him. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. He saw Jesus come up out of the water and the Bible says the dove of the Holy Ghost landed on Jesus' shoulder. And then he went into the wilderness led by the spirit, but he comes out of the wilderness in 40 days having passed all of his tests, which by the way, he goes and he does, he does these tests with the devil. You know the story, right? And the devil says something very odd. He says, all the kingdoms of the earth belong to me and I can give them to anybody I want. I'll give it to you if you'll just bow down and worship me. I'll save you. I'll shortcut the cross. I'll shortcut you all the embarrassment, all the shame, all the suffering. What'd you come for, Jesus? You come for the world? I'll give it to you right now if you'll just bow down and worship me. How many of you understand Satan is still cutting those deals today? I mean, have you been seeing all the satanic stuff about the Hollywood actors and the great singers and all these people? They, they have this meteoric rise to fame and they're not even that gifted. They're not even that talented. It's because they sold their soul. They took the deal. Jesus refused them because he refused. He came out not by the Holy Spirit. He came out in the power of the Holy Spirit. And John saw his ministry explode as Jesus is performing miracles, signs and wonders. He's healing the sick. He's raising the dead. Thousands upon thousands, their lives are transformed. And so John, being the cousin of Jesus, steps up and he challenges the political establishment and calls him out. And as a result, he goes to prison and he's on death row. He's awaiting execution. He's thinking, God, did you forget me? God, you were using me. Things were going great. I had a great ministry. And so he smuggles out words through his disciples to go and ask Jesus, are you really the one or should we expect somebody to come after you? And this is what Jesus, he responds in code. It's so beautiful. He responds by giving him a scripture passage that no doubt John would have had memorized. He said, I want you to go back and I want you to tell John what you've seen and what you've heard. That the blind see, the lame walk, the dead are being raised, and the good news is being preached. And that would have been an answer that John would have understood. Because if you understand what he's quoting in Isaiah, he omitted a passage. Because Jesus also came to set the captives free. But he didn't tell John that. It was like, John, I, all, there is no higher name that you can call. There is nobody else coming. I alone am him. I am the Messiah. But John, you're not getting out of this one. And then he turns and he looks at the crowd. And he says these words that rub me the wrong way. He says, and blessed is he who doesn't get offended because of me. Blessed is the one who doesn't miss the kingdom because of the king. Because his ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. And God's doing his thing. He's working things out, but it may not go the way that we expect. And I know this sounds really strange, but the Lord gave me this picture. Um, imagine a man and a woman are in their house one day and, they're, and they're, um, they're cleaning the kitchen or something. And an armed gunman runs through the door. And the first thing he sees is the wife standing there and he brutally, he hits her and knocks her to the ground. And the husband sees this and he comes up to, you know, kind of, you know, wrestle with the, the, the assailant, you know, and they're wrestling back and forth and they're throwing punches and the, and the gun goes free and it slides across the, the floor and the wife sort of comes to. And in that moment, in that moment, what should the wife do? Is that the moment for the wife to say, you know what? I don't think he really loves me. If he really loves me, he wouldn't have allowed this guy to break into this house. He wouldn't have bought a house in this neighborhood. 
Or, you know, I think I could have done better than him anyway. I think now's the time to get out. I'll run out the front door and go marry a man that I really want to be with. That would be a terrible wife. What should a wife do? Grab the gun, take a lamp, smash it over the assailant's head. That's what a mature good wife does. And my Bible says that Jesus is coming back for a mature good wife. So when you're in spiritual warfare, it's not the time to go cheat on God. It's not the time to run out the front door on him. It's not the time to be wrestling with, hey, you know, if you really love me, it's time to join the action. In Daniel chapter 10, he understands this. He's in a desperate situation and he cries out to God. And as he cries out to God, there's no breakthrough. And finally, instead of pouting and running away from God, he presses in and he does a fast for 21 days. And after 21 days, the archangel Michael comes to Daniel and this is what he says. He says, you gotta understand, the moment you prayed, I was dispatched from heaven to come and answer your prayer. But I was delayed doing battle with the prince of Persia. Who's the prince of Persia? It was the territorial principality spirit over that region. And I was doing war with that, with that angel. And so what Daniel did is he joined in with heaven. In that fast, he added his power of agreement at his power of agreement, and there was breakthrough, and the rescue came. In the moments of the dark night of the soul, it's not time to run away. It's time to press in. And I promise you, the miracle is on its way. I declare over you the prodigal child is going to come home. I declare over you that what you think is impossible is possible because my Bible told, says that just what Gabriel told Mary, nothing is impossible with God. Say that with me. Nothing is impossible with God. Anything God ever did in the Bible, he can do right now. Anything God ever did anywhere, he can do in Lafayette, Louisiana. Anything God ever did for anyone, he can do for you. I believe it. Don Butler believed it when he got stage four cancer, colon cancer with a, a few month prognosis, healed, completely healed. My wife and I prayed over a woman who had breast cancer and it was bad. It was already spread. True story. She had had it three times before. She was really young, only 48 years old. Her daughter was about to get married and her prayer was, can I live to be at the wedding? I'll be sick as a dog on chemo trying to sustain my life, but I want to see my daughter get married. I want to see my daughter get married. And so we prayed and we said, we called her up and said, is it okay if we come and just pray over you? And Erica and I walked into her room in, in, in her room, and we laid hands on her and we prayed and we just said, God, come and do your thing. God, come and do your thing. God, come and do your thing. She not only went to the wedding, she's still alive today and that was eight years ago. I don't say that so you say, look, look, at, look at me, look at the man of God. No, 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 it's not about me. It's the corporate anointing, right? It's the power of agreement. It's all about him. And guys, healing is mysterious, but we're not called to understand. We're called to be obedient. And if somebody gets healed, glory to God, not glory to the person. And if somebody doesn't get healed, it's not shame on you. Somebody said, you just obey God and you leave the consequences up to him. I, I don't know. It's mysterious. I don't know why Paul could heal everybody on the island of Malta, but leave Trophimus sick and tell Timothy, drink a little wine for your stomach. Paul, why don't you just lay hands on your son in the faith and get him healed? I don't understand that. But I'm not called to understand. I'm called to obey. And I know that we have sold this thing short because there is so much power that we built theology around because we didn't, we didn't see it happen we, on our time frame, We didn't understand. We didn't see the healing. And so we said, well, God just doesn't work that way anymore. Now we've got the Bible. We're a more sophisticated bunch. No, 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 no. We, we need the power of God. Let me tell you, sophistication and wisdom and all the spiritual sounding gunk is trash compared to the power of God. The Apostle Paul was the most brilliant theologian, the best orator, the best writer, the best thinker of his day. But when he preached with persuasive words, nobody got saved. And so he walked to Corinth and he wrote them these words. He said, now I've resolved not to come with you with wise or persuasive words, but now I'm only coming in a demonstration of the Holy Ghost power. In America, we pay a lot of money to preachers to have wise and persuasive words. I believe that the kingdom of power is about to destroy the kingdom of talk. Mm -hmm.